So last week, we launched this new series with the year we called Favor of God. And just to catch you up, if you're joining us um, today, we talked about how the favor of God really is him turning his face toward you. It is the demonstrated delight of God in your life. It's the tangible evidence of his approval, where he will invest in and move in your life in some special ways. Sometimes it comes with God opening doors to these supernatural opportunities. Sometimes it's God providing divine direction that you didn't even see. Sometimes it's God making a way for the impossible to become possible in your life. And we said, there are a lot of things we want in life. We all want stuff. But what you really need if you really want to see the purposes of God prevail in your life, is you need the favor of God on your life. And let me just say this, church. Last week was a moment. I'm just going to say that that was a moment. If you made a church, you know that that was powerful. Our, our team killed it on that song, just singing that blessing um, over our church. And so grateful that. I'll be honest, I'm not ashamed to say it. I ugly cried in both services, like ugly cried. They were ugly. It was that. I'm not ashamed to say it. It is what it is, all right? Um, but it, it was just powerful. I felt like that was just a tone-setting moment for our church for the year and hopefully for our lives as we um, move forward. And I just can't wait to see what God has to say to us throughout this series. You just sometimes can tell that God's just going to move powerfully at certain times. And I, I believe this is one of those times. Um, to get today started, I want to show a few pictures and... This is a mental exercise, okay? So I want you to think about when I show each picture, what can we safely assume about the people in these pictures just based on what you see in the image, okay? I think you'll see where we're going with this when I show it. So first one, what can we safely assume about this guy? Okay, this bro works out, right? That does not just happen, okay? This dude works out, all right? He lifts, okay? We know a safe assumption. Maybe a little bit harder, not so much though. Next one, what can we assume about this pilot in this jet? Probably a couple things, right? This person probably has taken many hours of flight school, had to pass a lot of tests, and knows how to fly a jet. The government does not give you an $80 million plane unless you know how to fly it, right? We can safely assume that about this person. Okay, let's go to this next one. These are now... What could we assume safely about the band that is about to come out on this stage? What are some safe assumptions? They're probably pretty good, right? You don't have 100,000 people come out to watch you unless you can do something pretty well. I'm guessing they're decent at their instruments. Maybe they can sing. They might not even be your style of music, but they are talented enough to have a global audience. We can safely assume that just by that picture. Let's do one more. What can we safely assume about this person right here? <laughs> Was that too soon? I see some of you guys look mad at me right now. You look really mad. I, I'm a Broncos fan. I'm right with you. Here's what I can say. That is going to be the highest paid unemployed person in the world very soon, okay? I'm just telling you, you come to me and say, hey, here's $100 million to go away. I'm like, great. Where do you need me to sign? I will go away. So um, was that too soon? I don't know. Some of you guys looked her. Okay. It is what it is, all right? It's the reality. Now, in the same way... You look at someone who's jacked and you can just assume they work out. You see someone flying a plane, you assume they can handle it. You see a famous band, you assume they're pretty good at what they're doing. What can you safely assume about somebody who has the favor of God on their life? What are the undeniable characteristics of a person that God shows his favor to? And if there are some undeniable qualities, 
are they things that we can cultivate in our own lives? Can we actually do things to access more of the favor of God? And that's what I want to lean into today. We're going to lean into that question. And to get started, I actually want to go back to somebody we talked about last week. I introduced Noah last week. And I mentioned how the first time many people hear Noah, they think boats and animals and floods. And you're safe to assume that, but there's a lot more to Noah's life that we sometimes miss. And I intentionally left out a lot of details of his life so we can dig into it more deeply today. Let's see where we go. In Genesis 6, verse 5, it says this. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. This is a heavy couple lines in the Bible. And one thing we need to see here is this is a moment in history when things had gotten so bad that God basically had to say, we need to control, alt, delete this whole thing. We got to hit the reset button. And I'll tell you, there are so many questions that come up when you read this text about God's judgment and his justice and maybe even his wrath and anger. And unfortunately, that is going to have to be a sermon for another day. But there is so much important things to talk about there. What we need to see for our purposes today in this text is just how heavy the situation and state of affairs for humanity had become. Heavy. Now, as heavy as this moment is, you know what the very next verse says? Verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, your foot should slam on the brakes right now. You should be like, whoa, 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 hold up. Wait, what? You're telling me there's all this evil and wickedness in the world, so much so that people are going to die, and yet there's this one guy who has the favor of God? Who's this Noah guy? What is different about this dude that sets him apart from literally everybody else on the planet? And thankfully, the author actually does not leave it a mystery. In the very next line, it says this, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Now, in a world of wickedness where Literally every single person is going in the wrong direction. There was one person who decided to go in the direction of God. This guy, Noah. And it says that he was righteous. I don't want us to get distracted by sometimes these weighty theological terms in the Bible. To be righteous simply means you have good morals. You're living an upright life. He is doing what he can to please God. And if you know anything about Noah's story, we all know this guy actually is not perfect. Later in Noah's life, he's going to have some struggles with alcohol. His family is going to go sideways. He's not perfect. But at this moment, the writer zooms in and says, he is blameless, though. If you followed Noah around on a typical day, you would not see glaring issues in his life. He'd be a good dude. Not perfect, but blameless. You wouldn't have anything you could poke holes in. It says he even walked a certain way. He went about his life in a certain way, and that way was with God. And because of this, he had the very approval of God on his life. Noah, through his decisions 
and his daily activity cultivated a life where God's favor could take root. Now, I want you guys to see that I'm not just cherry picking verses out of the Bible and trying to force a point. I want you to see that this is actually a principle that works all throughout the Bible. Let's look at just another guy named Jotham. He was a king in the Old Testament. In 2 Chronicles, it says this, Jotham grew powerful because he walked steadfastly before the Lord his God. The writer is very clear here. The reason this guy became powerful and even successful and grew in influence is because he was a certain type of person, okay? This wasn't a one-time thing for him. He was steadfast. He was unwavering in his commitment to God. Now, those are two people. I could give so many more examples, but let's even just ask, what does the Bible actually teach about what we're talking about today? Not even just talking about people. What does it say? So follow me here. Psalm 84. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives, let's just hear the word. What is it? Favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. There are certain qualities that God gives favor to. And it even references this blameless idea, the same word used to describe Noah. Let's do another one. Psalm 5. Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. Righteous. Another descriptor just even of Noah. First Peter 3. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. We talked about how the favor of God literally means where God turns his face toward you. Peter's talking about God placing his eyes on somebody in a special way, giving his special attention. Let's give one more. Let's make this as obvious as we possibly can, okay? Let's remove any controversy. Proverbs 12, good people obtain favor from the Lord. It's about as straightforward as you can possibly be. Now, just from this handful of passages, I want you to see there is an undeniable principle we see about life itself, and it's this. Personal holiness and the favor of God are connected. The favor of God is not arbitrary. It is not random. God is not just throwing Easter eggs out from heaven to see who will just find one with his favor in it. It's not how it works. There is a correlation between your personal character and the level of favor God places on your life. Now, some of you guys are freaking out right now. You're like, whoa, Brian, <laughs> you've been, you've been, you're dealing with some dangerous theology right here. You're walking a very paper thin tightrope right now because some people might be asking right now, well, hold up, Brian. Are you telling me I need to earn God's love and approval? Are you telling me my behavior determines how much God loves me and like is active in my life? Now, hear me. Do not mishear me. God's love is unconditional. But his favor is not. There are conditions to the favor of God. There absolutely are. And to help us understand how this works in our life, I want to talk about two theological terms, okay? These are what uh, Bible scholars would use. And the Bible nerds in the room, you're going to love this for the next three minutes, okay? All the nerds in the room, you're welcome. Um, there's one term that is called positional righteousness. 
positional righteousness. Now, to help illustrate this, I, I think it's good from an experience I had. Some years ago, um, Nicole and I met up with some really close friends of ours that we've, we've been friends with a decade plus. And um, the girl in this family, Shirley, actually works at Disney World. Okay, so we meet up there. This was right around the time when the Avatar ride just got created and launched and all that stuff. And so we said, let's meet at the Avatar ride. And so we show up and it's still early in the day and we're getting ready to meet uh, Shirley and her family. And I look at the sign for the wait time for the Avatar ride. You know how long the wait time was for this ride? Five hours. I said, are you kidding me? I'm going to spend half this day waiting for this dumb ride, which by the way, is not even a great ride anyways. Can I just say that by the way? Okay. I'm sorry if I just ruined it for some people. It ain't worth five hours. Okay. It's barely worth five minutes. So um, we show up, we're getting in line and I'm like, oh, this is going to be a long day. We're just going to be standing in lines. Why are we doing this? And Shirley shows up and she just starts laughing. She's like, <laughs> Brian, you're not waiting for a single ride today. And she pulls out this staff badge from Disney World. And the glory of God descended from heaven on this badge. <laughs> and you could just tell his favor was on this moment. And she starts to wave this badge around and people started parting like the Red Sea with Moses, just getting out of the way. And I'll tell you right now, we did not wait five hours for this ride. We waited five seconds. We walked right on the ride. And actually, that's how it went the whole rest of the day. We did not wait for a single ride the entire day at Disney World, which, by the way, is the way to do it. Get a friend who works at Disney World. Um, but this is the thing. If Nicole and I showed up at Disney World without Shirley, we would still be waiting in line for the Avatar ride today to get on this thing. But because of Shirley and her standing with Disney World, Nicole and I got a special position when it came to our relationship with this place. We got right to the front of the line. And here's where I'm going with this. Um, when it comes to practical righteousness, or sorry, positional righteousness, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Your position with God, it's where you stand with him. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about positional righteousness. It's the access you have to him. And this is the good news of Christianity, everybody. The access you have to God your standing with him is not something you can earn. It's something you receive. It is a free gift. I love how Paul says it in Romans 4. He says, when people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. We get this. You work a job, you expect a paycheck. You're trading your time for money. But look at how God works with us. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. Oh, that is good news, everybody. Jesus did the work for you on the cross. He paid the full price. He washed your sins clean. And now through faith in him, you become a precious son or daughter of the Most High King. You are in a position of God's family. And guess what? This is nothing you can do to earn and there's nothing you can do to lose it. It is the grace of God. Isn't that some good news today? Isn't that something to be happy about? Like, I'm so grateful for the grace of God. And if you have not taken that step in your faith, let me just tell you, do that today. Get in a position to receive God's grace and favor. Let him invite you into his family through Jesus. It's the best decision you'll ever make. So that is positional righteousness. That is good news. But there's another type, and I accidentally slipped it when I was talking. You probably heard it. The other one is practical righteousness. 
Now, some scholars will call this relational or personal righteousness. We'll stick with practical. This is the ever-changing, always-adjusting dynamic of your relationship with God. Now, I think I can illustrate this through another experience I have. Um, I've got two kids, Easton and Brinley, and we're kind of in a fun season. You know, they're fun little kids. We're playing around a lot, and they are my children. At least since last time I checked, they are my children. And... Here's the thing about my kids. They could not be more different. Boy, girl, one personality, another personality, all the things. And yet I love them the same. It's a weird thing as a parent. You just can't help it. I just love my kids equally. It's just, it's a strange experience. But when it comes to my kids' practical righteousness, Dear Lord Jesus, help me, okay? Pray for me. Because every parent in this room, you know this experience. I'll have days where the kids are like cuddling on the couch. They're reading books together, playing. You want to freeze those moments in time. You're like, this is just perfect. I don't want this to ever change. And then three seconds passes. And you're literally wondering, I have asked this before, are my children demon-possessed? Like, truly, there's no other explanation for this kind of behavior. It was just the other day. My kids are playing. It's a cute, precious moment. You're grateful for it. And I go upstairs briefly, and I hear, like, a blood-curdling scream. You parents know, like, just the different one. You're like, something might actually be wrong. So I start heading downstairs to see what's going on, and I see Easton come around the corner, and he has the fear of God in his eyes. Like, he is running for his life. And then I am like, what is this dude running from? I look around the corner and it is my daughter Brinley, who is smaller and younger than him, chasing him with a giant stick with murder in her eyes. Like, I'm about to kill this brother of mine right now in this house. And Nicole, in that moment, she looks at me and she's just like, this is your fault, okay? They, they take after you, okay? This is not on me. This is definitely on you. Now, when it comes to my kids, I love them the same. I can't help it. It will not change. Their position as my children is a biological fact. You cannot undo it. But my attitude and my feelings towards my kids changes about 732 times a day. It's always in flux. And when my kids ask me for things, the favor they've been in determines a lot of the outcomes. You come up to me, you're like, hey, dad, can we have ice cream? You better hope you've been living in my favor for the last couple hours. Because if you've been driving me nuts, you're not getting ice cream. You are getting a sermon from your dad about how you drive him insane 90% of the time. That's what you're getting. So God, his love does not change for you. There's nothing you can do for him to withhold his love from you. But his feelings, his attitude, and even his willingness to respond to us is absolutely impacted by our behavior. Let me show us from some scriptures. I read this verse just a few minutes ago. 1 Peter 3, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to the prayer. The second half though says, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. We talked about the favor of God is when he turns his face toward you and gives you attention. There are many places in the Bible where God literally turns his face away from people. He even turns his face against people because of the type of life they are living. Let's look at some other ones. James 4, God opposes the proud. God is not going to reward arrogant, self-promoting attitudes and behaviors. It's not in his nature. Uh, Proverbs 3, toward the scorners, he is scornful. I know scorn is not a word we use in everyday language, but he's saying, hey, if you're someone who shows contempt or you're just dismissive towards people, or maybe you're even condescending in the way you live, God is saying, you're gonna get that back. 
because I'm not going to show favor to somebody who lives that kind of life. Examples are littered all throughout the Bible of this. Uh, one that's maybe a little bit more familiar is David. There's no denying the fact that David had God's favor on his life, particularly in his younger years. And yet, even David, with all the favor of God, there was a point in his life where he crossed a particular woman, Bathsheba. And he made a decision in a moment with another man's wife that ended up costing him dearly. And even though God gave him forgiveness, he lost a lot of favor. And it impacted him the rest of his life because of that decision. But I, I have good news for us today. The good news is, if you are in Jesus, you've placed your faith in him, you have a position that will never change. You have salvation. You have God's grace. You have the hope of heaven. That is some good news today. That is awesome. I have more good news for you. Here's the other good news. You have an opportunity to position yourself for the favor of God. It is within your control. It is your opportunity. And that is because you can cultivate character. This is the opportunity God gives you to facilitate more favor in your life. Um, let me kind of explain how this even looks in the Bible, just to give a taste. There's a man named Samuel. He's a prophet. And we get a glimpse into his life in his younger years in 1 Samuel 2. It says, and the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. How incredible. Samuel, he didn't just grow physically. He didn't just go through puberty. The writer's very careful to note, Samuel cultivated the kind of life that allowed increasing levels of God's favor on him. He actually grew in favor as he grew up as a man. Unbelievable. I, um, years ago, read this book, I still remember, called Mindset. I don't know if anybody's read this book before. It's probably like 15 years old now. It's written by a lady named Carol Dweck, who's a professor at Stanford, and she did all this research on how people think and how it impacts their lives. And the whole concept of the book is pretty simple. She introduces these two terms, a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. And so she says, if you're somebody with a fixed mindset, you are somebody who believes really that your abilities or your intelligence or talents are essentially fixed. They're not going to change a whole lot. And what she found is if you live this way, you will actually have a lot more fear of failure in your life. You'll avoid challenges. You will not really see effort as worth it because you don't think it's going to pay off. And what it has shown is that people living this way will eventually plateau when it comes to a lot of areas of their lives because they just think it's not going to change a lot. Now, she compares this with a growth mindset. And what she's found is there are people that actually believe they can develop their skills and abilities through hard work and dedication. And so people who live with this mindset actually view challenges as an opportunity to learn. They embrace effort and they'll even persist in setbacks because they think the effort is going to pay off. And she has seen this play out in careers, education, sports, parenting, all different areas of life. But what I was so blown away by was her research found that the literal physiology of your brain changes based on the mentality you live by. Now, Nicole just recently, that's what got me thinking about this book. She found this little uh, kids activity devotional book based on like a growth mindset kind of idea. And so she got this book and we just read it at dinner. It's like little stories and activities and exercises you can do with your kids. And it's kind of funny because the prompts 
kind of put out there and you're supposed to decide if it's growth or fix. It'll be like, I can do better if I work hard. And it's like, which one is that kids? They're four and six. Okay. Just, um, you got to make it easy for them. But what kind of is funny to me is there's like these very blunt, direct lines. It's like, I am so ugly, period. <laughs> or I am so stupid, period. And you're supposed to decide, you know, which direction these mindsets go. Now, the reason I even mention all of that is because I actually think it applies so well to our spiritual lives. Because I know so many people who feel this way about themselves. They believe, I am so stupid spiritually. I am not the type of person that God would ever show his favor to. I don't have the skills. I don't have the personality. I don't have the looks. I have messed up way too much in my life. There is no possible scenario where God is actually going to show me any special kind of attention or help. And that's heartbreaking to me because we just believe we have this fixed state when it comes to our relationship with God. And I need to encourage some people here today. You need to hear this. The favor of God is not fixed in your life. It is not fixed. You don't have to be stuck. You didn't miss out. Okay, that door didn't just close in your life. God wants to give you favor. He wants to give you favor in increasing amounts. He wants to give you favor more than you actually want it yourself. That is the heart of God for you. The only limits to his favor are the limits you place on him. But you have to have kind of a growth mindset about the favor of God. You have to believe to your core that it is actually going to be worth the sacrifice and the effort to position yourself for God's favor. You have to believe that to your core because this is another Undeniable principle of the favor of God. God's favor is not free. It does not grow on trees. You are not just going to find it in some Easter egg. It requires a lot of sacrifice and dedication if God is going to trust you with greater levels of his favor. Now, I want to show that Again, we see this in the Bible. Paul is a writer in the New Testament. He talks about the things you can do to actually cultivate your personal holiness and character to facilitate the favor of God. Look what he says in 1 Timothy 4. Train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. The whole idea of godliness, it's the same thing as righteous, being blameless. We're all talking about the same thing. It's your personal holiness. And how incredible. Paul says your character, the spiritual life that you cultivate, it is like a muscle. You can develop it. You can work it out. You can actually train it. And if you're willing to put in the work, Paul says it will pay off. You're going to see value from it, not just in this life. He says, it's going to have value into eternity even. That's how much it's going to pay off in your life. The first time I ever started like seriously physical, physical, 
training physically for anything, I don't even know what I'm talking about, physically training for anything was uh, in middle school. So I, I joined track in middle school. And I had never actually like tried to get better at a sport really until then. And so all the coaches started having me do all these different exercises and workouts and runs. And the event I ended up doing was the mile. That became my race. Half of you just got tired hearing that. You're like, oh gosh, a mile, Brian. No, absolutely not. And so I ended up doing the mile. And what was crazy to me as somebody who never really seriously run before, through the training of these coaches, I stuck to the program and took it seriously. I, as a middle schooler, got down to being able to run a mile in five minutes. I could run a five-minute mile in middle school, which is pretty fast for a 13-year-old kid. And what was kind of cool about that, though, was the training I put in opened the door for some real favor from these coaches. Because I kind of became the little special Speedy Gonzalez that they wanted to use in all the races, okay? They're like, hey, Brian, we need you to run that race and try and win that race, and we got to win this thing and do all that. And it gave me some special access and privilege and opportunities. And so Paul is saying, if you are willing to press into the training, if you're actually willing to do the work, you are going to cultivate a spiritual fitness that can handle greater levels of the favor of God in your life. So here's where I want to get as practical as I possibly can be. I want this to be really helpful. We're going full nuts and bolts now. How can you actually cultivate character in your life? How do you do this? You know, we talk about physical fitness all the time. And one of the things that makes me laugh so much about just the whole fitness industry is how complicated we have made it. We got all sorts of fads and diets and programs. And really at the end of the day, it's two things. Diet and exercise, right? It's two things at the end of the day, all right? I just saved you hundreds of dollars. You're welcome, okay? I actually don't know anything about diet. I love cake. That's what I'll tell you to eat. So um, I can't help you there. But when it comes to spiritual fitness, a lot of people overcomplicate it. They're like, I don't know how to do it. Is it kind of like magical, mystical thing? Isn't it just a God thing? No, it's actually really, really simple. There's really two things you can do that'll radically transform your character, your personal holiness, and your spiritual life. The first thing is you must absolutely get in God's word. Now look what 2 Timothy says. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting. I want to lay into this one. And training in righteousness. Okay? The Bible is useful for training so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul is basically saying the Bible is a set of spiritual dumbbells, okay? And you got to get in the gym if you want to build some spiritual muscle. It's not free. You got to put in the work. And I know even for people who have been Christians for a long time, some of you, maybe you've been coming to this church for years, you still struggle to make getting in the Bible a regular habit. It, you fall off the wagon, you try again, you don't know what to read, you're confused. I get it. So I want to be really helpful right now, especially at the new year. I want to get you back into God's word. So let, let me help us right here. Here's what I would encourage you to do if you currently do not have a good ritual and regular practice of getting in God's word. First off, start a Bible reading plan. Okay. I used to not be a huge fan of these. I felt they're, like they're too restrictive, but I love it now. I am always on a Bible plan. I'm never not on one because I just follow the plan every single day. I just do what it tells me to do. I don't even have to think about it. And same like a workout program, just stick to the plan and it's going to start working. So that's all you got to do. Get on a plan and start following it. And where you can find some great Bible plans, the best place to go is the YouVersion Bible app. If you don't have this on your phone already, you need to get it. Okay. It's the best Bible app out there. Download it on your phone and do that. Now, 
Let me talk to the people who are brand new to the Bible for just a second. You have no idea what to do. You're totally confused. You've never tried this before. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Start a New Testament Bible reading plan. This year, you can get through the, Bible, the entire New Testament um, in one year. How cool would that be to say you've read through the New Testament? Some of you, you might be ready to say, I'm going to go through the whole Bible in one year. This is a one-year Bible reading plan. You can do that. That would be a great way to start. And then I'll encourage you to do this. You may not have a good Bible. I actually don't read the Bible on my phone or tablet. I still like a good physical one. If you're just starting on the Bible, get a life application study Bible. It has little notes and explanations on the different verses. It helps you with the confusing things. It walks you through the different books. And right now, I'll give you permission. If you're bored in this sermon, order it right now. That's the one thing I'll let you do on your phone right now, okay? I see you on ESPN. You can order the Bible. I'll let you do that one thing if you don't want to listen to the rest of the sermon. Um, now, let me talk to the more experienced people in the room. You've been around the Bible block, and maybe you need a refresher, or you're just ready to go deeper. If you're a little more familiar and comfortable with the Bible, get an ESV study Bible. This will take it to the next level. It gets way more in-depth. And then I would challenge you to go on a McShane Bible reading plan. This plan will get you through the Old Testament once, the New Testament, and the Psalms twice. And you can do it in a one-year plan or a two-year plan. And then there's a great devotional that goes right along with this called the For the Love of God series. It's a two-volume series. It's actually written by a professor of mine from seminary, an unbelievable um, Bible scholar. And it goes right with it. And I just gave you a bunch of stuff today. And I see people like trying to take pictures of the screen and stuff. Every single one of these resources, the links and where you can get them, is right at nhills.org slash resources. So if you go to that website, there's a Bible study link. All of it's right there. So I want to encourage you, please get on a plan and start doing it. And here's what I see so many people do. They feel so guilty when they fall out of the habit or they get behind. They're like, oh my goodness, I'm so behind this plan. It's so pointless. Get back into it. Don't sweat it. Just jump right back on. I mean, even at the end of this last year, Nicole and I, I remember we were hanging out at home and we were talking about finishing up the year. And I'm like, hey, where are you at? I know you're doing like a through the year, a through the Bible in a year plan. And she's like, yeah, I'm like seven days behind or whatever. And I was like, babe, don't sweat at all. There's no guilt. I'm going to finish mine in time this year. But, you know, not everybody can be <laughs> that holy or committed, you know, but that's okay. There's no guilt. But I, I try to tell everybody, something is always better than nothing. Even if you just get one verse in in a day because you're so busy and things are, it's better than nothing. Just do something. Get in the gym. Start working out your soul and you will start to see the results. And I have to assume there's probably some people in here that are like, oh my goodness, Brian, I know you said it was simple, but this feels simplistic. Get in the Bible. Okay, duh. Like, thanks for wasting five minutes of the sermon. It is simple, but are you doing it? Are you actually doing it? Are you getting in the word in a way that is actually forming your character as a person? Because I've seen so many people that talk about how simple things are and yet they fail to commit to doing it on a consistent basis. Do the simple things and it will start to transform your life. Get in God's word. Now there's one other thing, I won't spend as much time on it, but you absolutely have to get in God's presence. And I am talking about connecting with God in prayer primarily. I will spend so much more time talking about this next week. That's why I'm not going to spend much time today. So that's a little uh, teaser there. But if you want to get ahead of me and start digging in and, and get more serious, you can go to that nhills.org resources page. And it has a prayer link on there too. Guides, helpful tools, ways to refresh and even just dig into your prayer life a little bit more. Let me give you one little tip though today, just so I can give you something. If there's one thing I'd encourage you to do to help just invigorate your prayer life and keep it fresh, after you spend some time in God's word in your Bible plan, right after you do that, 
take some time to just pray about what you read. So maybe a verse sticks out to you. You're like, ooh, I like that. Like, I want to talk about that. Or maybe something's confusing. You talk about that and just take some time to pray to God about what you read. And the cool thing about that is it will always keep your prayer life fresh. You'll have something new to pray about and it will really dig God's word deeper into your heart as you talk to him about it. So that's one thing I would encourage you to do with your prayer life. But let me plant this seed in everybody's mind too because I really want to help you go to the next level in these things in the next two weeks. Next Sunday... We are gonna be launching a week of prayer and fasting as a church. We're gonna launch it right out of our Sunday services. And our team has been working so hard to make this just a powerful experience. If there's one Sunday I really want you to make it to, it's really next week. We will have special, physical, nice brochure guides where every day we're gonna have guided prayers for you. And all of us are gonna be praying together on the same things for our church. It is gonna be a powerful experience for our church to unify around prayer at the top of the year. And then at the end of next week on that Friday, January 21st, we are going to end this week of prayer and fasting with a night of worship and prayer together as a church. And 7 p.m. in this room on that Friday, we are going to have fun, everybody. We're going to celebrate everything that God's doing, everything we've been praying for. And you do not need to be a professional prayer warrior or some super Christian. Just show up. We will not put you on the spot. It's going to be fun. We put it on a Friday because we don't want school to be an issue, hopefully, for families. Hopefully, your work schedule works out. But Friday, the 21st, I want to challenge us to be here together for that night of prayer and worship. It's going to be really, really powerful. God's favor is not free. And the question is, are you willing to put in the work to position yourself for more of God's favor? Do you really believe at your core that it is going to be worth it? Because I promise you, God will absolutely make it worth it. Now, there's one last ingredient we need to talk about before we close. If you really want the favor of God in your life, it's not even just personal holiness and character that matters. There's one other critical ingredient. I read a passage earlier in this message. James 4 says, God opposes the proud. The second half says this, but shows favor to the humble. We read Proverbs 3 earlier. Toward the scorners, he is scornful. Second half says, but to the humble, he gives favor. The biblical idea of humbling yourself actually means to lower yourself. It's actually putting yourself in a posture of submission to God. It's putting him in his rightful place of supremacy in your life and lowering yourself under that. That's what it means to humble yourself. And this is what we must understand with how God works. God's favor finds those who humble themselves. Isaiah 66. These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit. Now this idea of contrite just means to show remorse. It means to repent. It means to turn away from sin and turn toward God. Because there's another reality of the favor of God we have to acknowledge today. God will not pour his favor out on sin. God will not bless a life that is lived in contradiction to his nature and his commands and his very design. And every single person here today has things in our lives 
that are not pleasing to God. Right now, God is holding his hands out to some of us and he's saying, I want to pour my favor out on your life, but I need you to humble yourself. I need you to repent. I need you to turn away from some things that are not just bad for you, they are breaking my heart. Some of us in here, there are things in your life that are grieving the very heart of God. I gotta ask some people in this room today, do you care what God thinks about your life? Do you really care? Does your sin bother you? Do you have any concern about whether your life offends God in any way? Some of us in here, you need some conviction today. And God is not pleased with some areas of your life and it needs to bother you the same way it bothers him. But there's some of us in this room, your issue is not feeling conviction about your sin. Your problem is you are overwhelmed with guilt because you're thinking right now, man, I know I've messed up. I have seen the results and consequences of my mistakes. I've seen what it's done in my life and what it's done to other people. And now your struggle is you're just telling yourself, I've messed up too much. There's no way I could pick up the pieces of my life. I don't have enough time to fix this mess that my life has become. There's a man in the Bible named Manasseh and he is one of the worst people who has ever lived. You could argue that he is the single worst king in the entire Bible. This man was so bad that he sacrificed his own kids to other gods. How deranged do you need to be to do something like that? Manasseh was so bad, he started experiencing the consequences of his decisions. His entire life went into a total tailspin. Everything blew up in his face. And then we get some details about what happened in his life at that moment. And this is what it says in 2 Chronicles. In his distress, he sought the favor of the Lord, his God, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his ancestors. And when he prayed to him, the Lord was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea. Even Manasseh, a guy who killed his own kids, when he humbled himself and reached out to God, he was welcomed with open arms. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you have done. All God is asking you to do today to humble yourself, to lower yourself under his loving hands so you can receive his grace and his mercy and his very favor on your life. And if you will do that one thing, 
you have a promise from God himself. In Psalm 30, it says, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. God will never fail to respond to a humble heart. And God will even compensate for the sins and mistakes and regrets you have in your life and use them for his good purposes. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. If you would like to learn more about Northern Hills, you can go to nhills.org. You can also follow us online on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram for more updates and events. We look forward to seeing you next week.